0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hello and welcome to Broke and Ambitious with me, Francis Keaton, where I chat to a professional creative about how they got into the arts and how they managed to survive. We will be talking day jobs, good ones, bad ones, and the downright weird ones. And we'll be talking about how to stay creative on the side and any money-saving tips. My guest today is the comedian Vanessa Hammock. Vanessa studied English at Sussex University and went to the International School of Corporeal Mind for three years. She's performed outdoor and street theatre at festivals including Latitude, Greenwich and Docklands International Festival and Cessius Festival in Latvia. She's produced her own work including cycle-based theatre and a 200-mile hobby horse walk from Wales to London. More recently she's dedicated her focus to stand-up comedy, taking her first solo show to Edinburgh last year, running the Bullpen Comedy Night at 2 North Down and writing for 8 out of 10 Cats. Sarah Pasco describes Vanessa as a truly original comedy mind and probably the most charming performer at the Fringe. And Lou Sanders says, Vanessa is the most fascinating, funny person I know. Here is my conversation with Vanessa Hammock. So how are you today, Vanessa? I, I am okay. I mean,
0: I yeah, it's definitely a funny time to be talking about our careers and stuff, isn't it? Because it's just like, keep
1: smiling. Yeah, I know, it really is. How, how are you coping with lockdown?
0: I don't feel like I'm coping great, but I definitely feel like I am one of the lucky ones. Like, you know, as you know, we've both been furloughed, um, which is like an amazing blessing. I I definitely, it. I have a few different strands to like how I earn money. And in this situation, having a combination of self-employed stuff that I do, things that I've got funding for myself, um, gigs, but also having a bit of pay OYE is, um, you know it's been such a blessing in this situation and my heart just really goes out to anyone who's not been so lucky.
1: We are very lucky just for for the listeners benefit uh, I know Vanessa through one of the day jobs that we both have which we both really enjoy it's a tour guiding job and uh, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast because you're always making me laugh and uh, I think you're the first comedian that we've had I know you do some writing and acting as well but you're mainly a comedian is that right? Uh, yeah, that is, that's the
0: situation that it's becoming. So I'd say that I've only really prioritised comedy in the last two years. Oh, right. um, But it feels like, a, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I think I did my first gig like over 10 years ago, but I never kind of like, basically my friends started doing it, and I'd never even, um, I didn't know it was possible to be a comedian, honestly. I thought to me it was like being a, a dog or a juggler or like... <laughs> an engineer like which I guess juggling and engineers are both things that you can become easier than becoming a dog but like (laughs) it just like it never felt it never felt like an option and I never when I was a child growing up I I would never went to comedy clubs like it wasn't something that my parents did and any comedians that I saw on TV I just really remember them being like much older men Mm -hmm. um like Russ Abba and Tommy Cooper so it just it never even registered that It just felt like you were born a comedian. then my friend and I went to Edinburgh, um, I went to visit her up there, and she took me to see some female comedians. So the first ones that I saw were Lou Sanders and Josie Long. And it just blew me away. And I was like, what is this? I didn't know you could be a girl and be a stand-up comedian. And, like, it was so young and it was so fresh and so funny and so relevant. And so that was the first thing that ever put it on my map. But I always felt like, you know, I wanted to be an actress um, since I was five years old, and then... When I was at uh, university, our, our drama society was very much like you would produce your own plays, and then I began doing that, and then just sort of went into like this very like theatre making role. So even when I was for oh, I'll, I'll try and do a stand up gig and see how it goes, I never felt like I was a comedian, and it's definitely something I I I don't feel like I'm there yet. But having really focused on it for the last two years has definitely like pulled it much further along. And um it's a really it's a it's really like an amazing job. It, I'd I'd really recommend it to everyone actually. Like I just think it's like it's so it's such a great way of building your skill. It's always available and there aren't the barriers in front of it that there are to so many other things. Like really like you can get a gig um fairly easily and know that you're going to be on stage for five minutes and you know there's nothing standing between you and that. Whereas even with like theatre making, the moment you go into fringe, I always think it's like interesting because I did a lot of amateur theatre when I was growing up and like the barrier between amateur theatre and fringe theatre like is is so um, big because of the amounts of money that you have to raise when you're paying for things or paying people or you just don't have a team of 50 volunteers who are willing to do your you know, your set design, your set building, your costume, everything like that. Like all the mums and dads and aunties and uncles who just all come and get involved. And, you know, it's like, I remember leaving like my amateur drama group and going, I'm going to be professional and going from having like this huge team of 100 people and like this amazing community centre to like paying like 100 pounds a day or an hour for like a very small theatre venue and having zero resources and thinking, (laughs) hmm, this doesn't feel like progress. But, definitely with stand-up those barriers are just they're not an issue anymore which is so liberating and
1: exciting yeah i i do know what you mean as well about the female comedians because even growing up uh in the 90s uh you know you watch panel shows so yeah you see tommy cooper but then you watch panel shows mm. and it's all men and then you see the odd kind of token appearance from like joe brand or jenny eclair yeah or something, who are brilliant but you know you, do, you don't really feel like there are people like us you know our age doing comedy and so yeah that is revolutionary
0: yeah and it's really fascinating to go back and watch any comedy from the 90s. I mean, we've been watching so much um, TV, you know, old comfort food TV. Like we've been watching a lot of Vicar of Dibley yeah. and um, really, really old Have I Got News for You. And it's amazing. You don't, I didn't realise how much it's changed. Like um, in the Vicar of Dibley, um, when Liz Smith left, uh, the cast is Alice and the Vicar, two women and five white men. And it's just it's like, wow, it's like, wow, you, you wouldn't see that now. Um, it's changed I so much know. and the thing with the panel shows as well is like it's just so funny when there's like the, the amount of times that I've seen it that there's been like one woman on a panel show and they'll make a joke and it's a joke from a female's perspective yeah. and what's so heartbreaking is no one laughs and so like it's like as if it wasn't a funny joke and it's just because it's like none of the other panelists can relate to it
1: of course yes that's such a good point and you've done some writing for, for 8 Out of 10 Cats. That's incredible. I didn't know
0: that. Yeah, no, that was, like, such an amazing opportunity. I've only done one episode, but I'd really like to do more. But, yeah, they were really, really nice done at Zepatron. And I would love to do more things like that, definitely. And it's just, I this is the other really great thing about comedy. Because I think um, with theatre and acting, like, it's a bit of a cryptic task sometimes. But with comedy... The challenge is so clear and you really have these tasks like write a joke about this word, write a joke about this event. And it's really satisfying to like sit down and grapple with that. And whether you do a good job or not, there's just a clarity to it, which is just such a huge relief. Yeah.
1: So you did your first full show at Edinburgh last year called The Golden Path. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I saw fantastic reviews. Was it were you happy with the run?
0: Um, <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so funny, because when you're a comedian, like people literally yeah. talk about Edinburgh, like it's hell on earth. And um, <laughs> it's so funny, because I think people who have have been to Edinburgh on a holiday or as part of a play tend to love edinburgh and have a really good time while they're there and so sometimes i revisit that world and people are like oh i just love i love the festival but as a comedian it really is i think the best of times and the worst of times like you just you, you experience everything you have an incredible show where like you you're like oh my, oh my god i am i'm so good <laughs> like i really wow i i I, I, I didn't know I was that talented and then literally the next day you will have the worst show of your entire life and you just never know what you're going to get and definitely for me with Edinburgh it got to the point where I'd have a great show and then I'd be like yeah but what's the point like tomorrow who knows what will happen tomorrow and I definitely I mean it is it, I found it like a baptism of fire and yes. um yeah I was up there with Theon at the same time Theon Jones who also worked yeah. with us and she mm-hmm. was an amazing support to me and like we would sometimes like when one of us was like because sometimes you'd come out of your show and you just feel fetal so you'd lie down in an alleyway like a rat that has ingested poison and we would just <laughs> send each other like a like help on whatsapp and then our um our location, you know, you can show your like live location, and then you would just watch oh the God. other person get closer and closer to you and just find you like splayed on the floor, and they would like revive each other. But then the great thing is like you do have to get up and do it again the next day, and anything can happen. It can be like a completely different story. And as much as I actually got kind of two reviews, um, they were the only ones that I managed to find, and one of them was quite positive and one of them was quite negative, and I really agreed with them both, and I really felt like yes that's how i that's how i felt they went when at at the best i felt like yeah this this shows potential and it's worse i was like oh god this is really misfiring Mm. so it was actually quite gratifying to get those two reviews because i was like yeah my judgment of how this is going is actually accurate
1: that's brilliant yeah i think i read those reviews and they were of the same they were the same night were they they? because it talks about you speaking to an american boy oh god 12 year old boy in the audience or something you're like you're like it's all a blur I really don't remember but (laughs) (laughs) I mean yeah but it's funny because they are they've got different views but it's the same night and it's so weird how people can have one reaction and then someone else can have not as strong a reaction that's um, so interesting And you'd think that everyone would feel the same it's weird
0: yeah that is I mean you definitely can't win but this is something that is so important about comedy and this is like the really amazing thing about it and maybe it's about the performing arts in general you can do so, feel like you've done so badly on stage, feel like you've done so badly yeah. creatively, but still make progress. And that was one of the amazing things from Edinburgh. Like, when I was up there, it definitely wasn't the kind of like, you know, dream Edinburgh scenario where suddenly, like, you make this huge impression and it, it can be career changing. And it was, yeah. it was, it was quite, I, I genuinely felt quite devastated a lot of the time. But when mm-hmm. I came back, I was getting booked for gigs i was getting booked for paid gigs um and i got funding to run a small project from the um, edinburgh fringe society and so like wow. the yeah the amount of things that i came away from edinburgh with and i would definitely encourage anybody who does edinburgh i don't know if it is a good idea to actually prepare yourself for how hard it is i think i was always aware that it was going to be hard and i think actually the more naive you can be going in the better Mm-hmm. Um, but I think don't judge it on the month; judge it on the year, because you okay. you can have a really successful Edinburgh and not even realise it until a year has passed, and you actually look at the amount of work that you booked as a consequence of doing it. And also, people do treat you completely differently. I think when you have done an hour long show, because come hella high water, you've been on stage for fifty minutes. And even if only five or 10 minutes of that was really great material, in general, that's all you're going to be doing at open mic nights anyway. So if you know someone's done 50 minutes, it's really likely they're going to be able to come and do a really Mm. good 10 for you. Mm.
1: So you said that it's just the last two years that you started to get into comedy fully, and you've just done your full-length show last year. So what first got you into it? And can you remember your first gig?
0: Yeah, so my very first gig was all that time ago. That was about like 10 years ago and I do you know what they recorded it and I've still got the recording of it so I really treasure that and it was a classic first gig in terms of beginners sometimes you can have this beginner's luck when you just get on stage and you're just like the most adorable little deer in the room and I've seen so many other people do it and you just have the most amazing time because like you have this very special energy I used to do a lot of comedy improvisation and it was something that I've really been battling with until quite recently with stand-up comedy is when I would improvise on stage, people would laugh and then whenever I did material, it just didn't get the same response. And I would say in the last year... I've made that jump. And for me, it was such an important jump where my material would get a bigger and better response than my improvisation. Oh,
1: fantastic. But unfortunately,
0: I get very nervous when I'm on stage and I'm a nervous talker and so sometimes I find it really hard to stick to the script and stick to my jokes at work and I'll like I'll look at the audience and this comes from look at everything we've done for us is like the tour guiding I used to be an explainer at the science museum I used to like be a performer at different museums I'm so used to interacting with people and that's something I definitely think going forward this year with my stand-up I really want to get better at controlling myself and controlling the tone and delivery of the performance and even if i'm looking out to a sea full of stony faces not letting it throw me just really like keeping that control and really trying to shape the experience for people more because i definitely i'm a little bit of a flighty animal on stage still (laughs) i think stand-up is so hard i think it's i think it's like an extreme sport within performing arts Mm. and it's it really is like the front line of performance, like the devastating experiences that I've been through. Like I've been booed off stage, and that happened really early on. And like booed off stage, but you know what? Like you have this fear of the audience not liking you, and then like they're booing, and you're like, oh, I, mm, I think I have to leave now. And then you're like, oh, I've, I'm, I'm being booed off stage, and I'm okay, and this is actually not that bad. Like it just, and you get to the point where you've like, you've literally seen it all
1: booed off stage though that is incredibly difficult but like if you get through that you can get through anything and I completely agree with um the the extreme sport because it does you get the same thrill as I imagine you would get from skydiving and I'm never going to go skydiving because I am just too much like I respect my body way too much to put it through that but (laughs) but I I think that stand-up is as scary is as brave yeah brilliant so you live in uh southeast London at the moment but you were raised in Croydon. So you're a Londoner born and bred, but I imagine that coming to central London when you were starting out acting, doing comedy was quite expensive. Did you live at home for a while?
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I am from Croydon, like you say, from Purley in Croydon. And I definitely think if you're from that area, I don't think any of us think that we're from London. I think London was always somewhere that you caught a train to. So even though it's Greater London, like mm. it, it never felt like you lived in London and um after so after university yeah i went back and lived with my mom and i got a job working in a day center with elderly people for a year which i always kind of consider oh. my gap year because i think the rest of my life has had like a bit more traveling and a bit more like unstable employment but that was my year of like really like having quite a steady job and um working with like the most amazing uh, older people who were just like you know like at the time i was like i want to be an actress. And here I am, like, literally sometimes cleaning poop off the floor. Um, yeah. Calling, calling ambulances, you know, 21, like, absolutely clueless. But then also, like, sharing so many stories and experiences and also just, like, being there, like, day in, day out. At 21 and being, like, quite a selfish, like, one, I just want to be an actress, guys. Um, 21, <laughs> but then, like, for five days a week, like, being the person who, like, was with these old people who would be on their own otherwise and, like, dishing up their dinners, like it's such a surreal job it's such a surreal memory and I live with my mum and I started doing method acting classes and that was really I loved it so much oh my god and I made really really good friends um from doing that and just it was so exciting like it was so thrilling like these really intense dramatic lessons and I learned so much about acting from those classes and about writing as well because it was so much about thinking about character motivation and things like that. And doing comedy improv as well. Um, And I used to go... At that time, I used to go to the theatre three or four times a week. Isn't that mad?
1: Wow. Yeah, I know. it is. It's wild.
0: Sometimes I joke that, like... um, I I can't even remember what the joke is, but I have a joke about, like... (laughs)
1: It's been so long. Having a
0: huge disposable... Yeah, you can have a huge disposable income if you dispose of all of your income. (laughs) And that is, like, my financial strategy for life. And so I just, like... The amount of drama books I've got, like... I honestly spent hundreds of pounds every week like all my wages went on it I was living with my mum but it was just I just so much wanted to be a part of it
1: oh that's so romantic though good for you it was
0: so romantic that's such a right word for it and I was such a romantic uh young person
1: that does bring us on to the next part because the struggle part of the struggle that I guess doesn't fit in with the romantic ideal of acting is uh the amount of day jobs that we have to do to support ourselves <laughs> so you mentioned the working in a care home which sounds like a great day job would you say that's been your best
0: no I after I finished working in the care home which was really cool but I mean to be honest it was my mum who told me to apply for the job and then I went for it and I did it and the whole time I was there I was a little bit like what am I doing here although now I look back and that experience was so valuable in, in terms of you know, my soul, like forcing me to think about other people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, that was that was so great. But I think more formative experiences for me were when, when I started working in museums. So I got a job in the science museum as an explainer. And it was such a great job um, for that year. We were all a very, very similar age. Um, a real combination of people who had just done PhDs, people who um, were aspiring actors, aspiring writers... Artists. There were people who had left to teaching. I mean, I say we were all the same age, but we it was actually quite diverse. And I'm friends with so many people from that time now, and I can remember that time so vividly in my mind. And it's very similar to the work environment that we've got where we both work of like yeah. these kind of like very eccentric um troublemakers, but like always very interesting, always like loads of debate and discussion about interesting topics. And it was exactly like that at the Science Museum. And the training that they gave me as well, and I'd, I'd always been rubbish at science, but they they trained us that like different <laughs> people, I know, there I am as an explainer, oh, go figure. But that was the amazing thing. They trained us how like different people will connect to different things. And they trained us that like, some people will connect more to the human story. And if you teach people like, who was the scientist who discovered this? Mm-hmm. How did they discover it and why? then they'll be interested and for me that was definitely the truth and um, it was just so fun and like all the cool stuff that we got to do like explosions like we used to do this show where we would set fire to a balloon full of hydrogen and it's like I don't I mean can you imagine you'd have a candle on a stick like gaffer tape to a stick and a room full of children in front of you and then you would hold this like candle underneath this balloon filled with this flammable gas and it would create a fireball (laughs) and that was your job like it was really cool it's so
1: rock and roll whenever I think of the explainers at the Science Museum I do just imagine them with like Doc Martens and a white lab coat setting fire to stuff and like going yeah is that what you were doing
0: yeah it was so fun and I think I've it's I mean where we work now I'm sure when you tell people people are like oh I love that place And definitely, when I went to the Science Museum, everyone would always be like, oh, I love that. And then I remember another one of the explainers, she also did acting for a company called Spectrum. He would dress up as different, like, historical scientific figures and go onto the museum floor and deliver these, like, 20-minute talks. So then I started working for them. And that was just really nice. And that really made me feel like an actor. And it was so well paid, like, £75 for, like, four hours. And I was just like, I've never dreamed. I've never dreamed of earning money like this. Like, it was just so amazing and also the costumes like the costumes were so good and um, I actually nearly set fire to a prop one of our props it was a heart I can't even remember what, what we needed it for but it's this foam heart and it had a tear in it so I was like is it okay if I just fix up that prop and they're like yeah sure so I took some paint and I took some glue not knowing that with foam you have to be really careful what glue you use so I put the glue onto the foam and pressed it together in my hands and then emanating from it I could feel this like intense heat and it was getting so hot and so hot and I was like this is literally going to burst into flames but luckily it didn't it just got so incredibly hot I had to like run around to drop it in a sink uh, but luckily I didn't burn down the museum
1: you think that your time as am. an explainer at the science museum would have uh, prevented this from happening oh yeah
0: <laughs> no I was just like no but what's the human story behind
1: <laughs> flammability um so thank you so you're two so I guess top top day jobs, best day jobs are being an explainer, a rock and roll explainer, and being a uh, historical performer with Spectrum. Could I just ask before we move on, what kind of characters do you play? Who is your favourite character to play around museums as a person from history? Okay,
0: I loved playing the Meridian line. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it was so brilliant and so wonderful.
1: Oh god. When you um, embodied... The Meridian line. Yes. Were you in costume? Mate. Did you do a kind of a special voice? I was hoping that
0: you'd ask me about the costume. The costume. It, you look like an adult page boy. It was white tights, white knickerbocker trousers, a white, um, I did like three-quarter length coat, and then like a frilly shirt and a little, I think we, I can't remember, am I making this up? I feel like I had a tricorn white hat. And I really remember <laughs> there was this boy. I started going out with one of my neighbours. Oh. Yeah. And he called it off very quickly um, <laughs> with the words, you know when you asked me if I was see if I still love my ex-girlfriend? And I said no. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, funnily enough. Oh, no. I know, yeah. Um, and so then, like, a week after that happened, of course, I go out on the Meridian line. <laughs> and there they both are. Just as shocked to see me, me as I am to see them. And I just, like, had to power through. <laughs> yeah, no
1: i wish why does this always happen? I know. this is kind of the recurring thing that comes up actually throughout these yes. podcasts. is the moments where you're doing a ridiculous fairly humiliating job let's say or you're in a strange costume and then someone you know turns up and it's just it's just you can't it's awful. it's it's awful.
0: But, but it's again it's like being booed off stage like it's such a grounding moment <laughs> that it's kind of fine that's the other great thing about doing comedy as well is like even like the most heinous experiences you're like i'll write this down <laughs>
1: Brilliant. Okay, so let's let's move on to your worst day job.
0: Okay, well, I have to be slightly careful of this one because I never say never about going back to this job, but it's um doing party entertaining, which is when you go to children's parties and you'll be like Elsa from Frozen or something like that. And oh my god, bloody hell, mate! I mean, it but it, but it's 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 it can be quite lucrative, like you you know, sort of hundred quid for an hour type wages. But so much worse than getting booed off stage. Oh no oh my god no I actually don't even know if I can tell the story because it's so painful but just to summarize it like I I went to the first party and they'd asked me to do bubbles now there are people who do bubble parties and they are this very like amazing professional setup and they're actually a lot harder than they look and I I made a bubble ring to make a giant bubble to put the kid in and I forgot to take it with me and it was like the center point of my whole mm. thing and then like in like... i I actually don't think i could even ruin myself to tell you like there was just this moment of like nightmare of like i i need it and then like there was some (laughs) tinfoil and then i was like i can maybe i can use the tinfoil to make this like this prop because all it is is a trough for the the liquid, and then I was just there at this party in this situation, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is an actual nightmare! Like, I'm in an actual nightmare here. I, I'm having this is and then I genuinely like, shall I just run away? Like, shall I just shall I just go to the front door and run? Which is actually what I what I truly wish I had done, but instead I like tried to like muddle through the party with this like prop that I just made in the kitchen out of tin foil, and it didn't work surprisingly and it was hell on earth but then the worst thing is because I felt so bad about it I um I stayed really late at the party and I'd been booked for another party that afternoon right but I left enough time to get there but I got caught in traffic and then for this second party I had to be I had to be dressed as a clown so I was like in the back of this uber dressing as a clown which is just like so So it was just like such a horrible metaphor for the situation that I was in. Because I was like, I'm so incompetent, I'm so incapable. Putting on these like giant shoes, I was crying, crying while doing my makeup. (laughs) So I was like, just stop, just like covering the tear stains with this like white makeup. And then I got to the second party an hour late, and it was so surreal. And I was just like, I mean, I was like, obviously this career is over before it's begun. But the woman was like so understanding. It was really weird that she specified a clown. As a party entertainer, you never get booked to be a clown because most children are scared of clowns because of it. People
1: hate those guys, yeah. So
0: I was a little curious about this child. <laughs> the child had some weird aggression fetish, if it's okay to describe a child's um, motivation like that. I'm not sure it is, but we'll go with it, yeah. Yeah, this very much that was very much my side of the experience. And I went in... And the child looked at me and, like, gritted its teeth and its eyes lit up. And it came. And the first thing it did was, like, stamp on my giant foot, which luckily was giant. Uh, so he he broke the shoe, but he didn't get my foot. So I was like, okay. And then I was like, I have kind. I am an hour late. It is this kid's party. I'm just going to let this kid beat me up. And I stayed... I stayed an extra hour so I let the kid beat me up for two hours it was the best birthday he'd ever had and then I just remember like catching the bus afterwards oh, and do you know what Francis so many times like when you go to these parties they want you to turn up in costume Yeah, and like you, I, I felt like it was similar to being an escort because they tell you how to dress and you have to turn up and, like create this like pretense and like imaginary world. And then like afterwards you have to go and find like an alleyway. Like, so you leave their house, like dressed as like a clown or whatever, but I don't have a car or a princess. And then you find an alleyway, try and like get back into normal clothes, unless you're you're happy to like- There's a
1: briefcase of cash. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you do. I mean, it pretty much is like they bet you in cash or they'd like try and get out of paying you. That's quite common as well. But I just remember like getting the bus away from it. And um, I had this like bag full of all the clown equipment. And then as I was getting on the bus, like, the, the clown shoe fell out, and I had to like scream to
1: the bus. Like the bus was pulling away, and I was like, "My shoe, my shoe!" Oh my god, this is honestly a scene from Joker, like joaquin Phoenix being beaten up by people, losing his shoe. I really feel for you. That's the most horrendous story I've ever heard. That's yeah, the worst day known to humans. It
0: it really was. Thank you so much for recognizing it. It was the worst day to human it was hell
1: also i'm really worried about that boy you cannot go through life expecting to be able to beat up a clown whenever you feel like it
0: i know and i'm, I'm part of the facilitation of that and i feel dreadful
1: yeah yeah you're like but that lady let me do it yeah no integrity no room left for personal integrity yeah. <laughs> oh you poor thing vanessa well yeah as we said still possibly might go back to that but that i think that's going to be the the title
0: of my autobiography no room left for personal integrity. <laughs>
1: We love to make a new catchphrase on this. (laughs) Wow, we need to just draw a line under that horrendous memory. Yeah, Kind of intrigued to hear what your weirdest day job is, if if it's none of the ones mentioned so far.
0: Another job that I used to do that I loved was I worked for this very nice catering company and they did a lot of art events. So there were loads of like famous artists and they'd get so drunk and they'd be like very famous female artist who I had to accompany to the toilet once and she's like was being like so indiscreet and telling me all this stuff and there'd be like like major celebrities getting like really really pissed and like the things I've heard Francis I can't repeat on a podcast but I can repeat when we're at work
1: that's so exciting
0: yeah it was amazing and and also like these events that we would do were just so beautiful like these like incredible and they were really cool the people that I got to like meet and see it was really exciting and we always got a free dinner <gasps> exactly free dinner
1: what more can you ask for how would you stay creative on the side because I just want to give a, a big shout out to your comedy night that you started the bullpen at two north down which i've been to which is fantastic oh thank a hard you hard work putting that together yeah it,
0: it it can be really hard can't it and and also i think as well i sometimes i wonder francis like some of the things that we talked about being hard i think if people who are listening to this do what we do they totally understand it whereas I think if people don't do it they might not understand mm. that an element of what makes these things hard is the anxiety and the uncertainty because you know when you when you ask people to come and perform at an event you're really worried will you have enough audience yes. for the audience you're really worried will I get enough acts will everybody turn up especially you know sometimes you can be lucky and somebody who's got a bit of a profile might agree to do your night but then you always feel like oh my gosh back, what if they have to cancel on the day or anything like that but yeah I mean I mean I have always had something that I've committed to. So at the moment it's stand up, but before that it was comedy improvisation. Uh mm-hmm. probably before that it was doing fringe performances or doing my method acting classes. So I've always been very locked into something that I know that I'm doing. I've never really just been like mm-hmm. a, a free falling actress looking out for an audition or any anything like that. And so I don't I don't think I I would feel very anxious to to completely step away from anything creative and not to kind of always have that at the forefront of my mind absolutely yeah and
1: I guess do you have any money saving tips
0: do you know what I was like oh yeah I'm gonna be so good at this question because I'm like I feel like I'm saving money the whole time and then I looked at it I was like but wait that's not legal (laughs) (laughs) and so you, you, you can't say you can't say that
1: yeah, let's talk about that stuff off mic because I'm interested in that. But no, yeah, I mean, I guess um, a global pandemic has been great for saving money because I feel like I'm saving so much money on travel and socialising. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: No, it's really interesting. I mean, I definitely think London is a place where like so many activities involve spending money and it can yeah. get to the point where you're really doing it habitually and to take a break from that in the pandemic has been like obviously a huge privilege, huge, huge privilege. But, um, but also like, It just really makes you think. And and I've really enjoyed, like, meeting people outdoors and stuff like that and just realising, like, Mm. actually, if the people are what's important, do you need to go for dinner? Do you need to go Mm. to the pub? Like, it's really interesting to have this chance to just live your life in a different way and scale it back a bit and not feel that sense of just money just flying away, just evaporating.
1: I know. But again, with money, I think it is just this people, humans in general, are pretentious twats like we've all got that in front inside of us yeah and it's the performance of it it's the performance of going to an establishment drinking yeah. their draft beer from their branded glasses and being around other people and performing but you need them also to have exchanged money and it's just, it is so yeah. weird but I have noticed that in lockdown as well
0: that's really so interesting Francis. I think that's so true and I think also as well like maybe it's human nature but I also think that's a big part of being in London yeah like I think that's a big part of and I don't mean the people who I don't mean everyone, of course, but I mean, like, you and me, the people who have moved into the town centre, I think we are gravitating towards excitement and towards that feeling of, like, I want to feel like I'm living an exciting and glamorous and vibrant life. Mm. And it is, and it's a massive, and I I think as women as well, we're, we're a demographic that are constantly being told how to improve and how to be better and how to be more. And I do think as performers as well, like, I think that's another thing where you're, you feel so judged based on who you are the whole time that it's you kind of like want to reassure yourself a lot that you are that you are okay and actually like you say like going to that trendy bar and having that trendy beer like well that's a sign that yeah you're okay yeah you're you're a londoner you're living your london life and it's so performative (laughs) yeah
1: that's so true yeah um, but also, you do you cycle, don't you? And this was a big part of your of your comedy, yeah your comedy show. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And also, we do like Croydon Cycle Theatre, where we try and like encourage people to cycle more.
1: Yeah, I actually did
0: put that down on my my list of tips of like how to save money. I would really, really recommend cycling. Um, cycling is a funny one because sometimes like bike repairs can be expensive. But just Google in your local area like what community groups there are, because very, very often there are repair hubs where they repair bikes for free. Um, also make friends with your cycling shop because I always do that I always try and find a local cycling shop because very often they'll let you buy the part and if they think you can do it yourself which is so much easier now with YouTube you can you can repair a lot of stuff yourself yeah. which is really empowering as well that's like such an empowering feeling to do that um, so Absolutely. cycling can save a lot of money not just on transport but also you, you don't need to go to the gym if you're cycling everywhere like it really does keep you fit mm. and um, mm-hmm. you know it can be really really affordable and a nice thing to do my other tip as well is maybe it's a bit silly but is ask keep asking like is there a discount is there a cheaper way of doing it do you have any specials when you go to a restaurant is there a set menu because very often in restaurants sometimes people are working on commission so they don't necessarily want to tell you that there's a set menu so ask and especially if they're advertising outside and the other thing as well is I think a lot of people aren't aware of their rights and I think having this conviction about your rights and your rights as an employee and remembering if you are self-employed you are saving that organization so much money employees are so expensive compared to zero hour contractors or um, self-employed people so like be aware of that. Like actually sit down and work it out. Work out how much they would be having to pay you if they had you on their rotor for 52 weeks of the year, five weeks of which you're holiday. You know, like actually work out your value and set set good rates for yourself. And don't be afraid to ask for high rates, because people mm-hmm. do pay them. Like people really like, if you tell them that's your rate, they'll accept it. And you might say, oh, that sounds a bit marked, so I'll just say it's 75 put put 200 you know there there's room for negotiation like but you you've you've really got to you've got to be you've got to have a lot of conviction about that and join a union you know and really like just try and bolster yourself and really look after yourself um yeah get a job that gives you free food yeah <laughs> oh be be um try and build good relationships with absolutely everyone because you you never know who's gonna like offer you a job work begets more work as well so if you yeah. do take that job for that person it probably will lead to more work and being diverse but also another thing is i think a lot of people don't realize about producing and about funding their own work so really get onto that arts council england website have a look at what their funding remits are and create your own projects and apply for the funding they really like people who've never applied before they're quite generous they oh, like really? to give people a start Fantastic. um and then yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are so many different funding sources out there. Connect with your local council. They can be so supportive in terms of supporting creative projects. And I really think in my 20s, without realising it, I was yeah. just doing different odd jobs. But you really develop the areas in which you start to feel confident so I think because I produced a lot of my own stuff I think that is why even though it's challenging I always feel like I can do that I always feel like I can produce something myself and I think it's worth kind of like start to just identify like what are the areas that you're excelling in or that you keep coming back to and how could you build it up and make it more and more sustainable yeah
1: that's fantastic honestly they are some brand new tips and they are brilliant they were like little bullets of genius thank you and finally Vanessa what would be your dream job if you could do it so it might be comedy acting anything
0: oh god well there's so many aren't there but I, I wanted to go back to my roots and go back to that like 20 something who used to go to the theatre four times a week Aww. I was just so in love and I remember seeing um Robert Lepage the dragon trilogy at the Barbican and just like to me it was it was just the most amazing day I saw the whole trilogy in one day so you were there for about seven or eight hours and it was just bliss.
1: It was just so so blissful. And I do, do you know Robert Lepage? I don't, but it's such a flash of the past because our drama teacher at school when I was doing uh, GCSEs, she was, she'd was just seen, I think, that. And she came back and she went, guys, she was very dramatic as drama teacher. Oh, she was like, Robert Lepage. <laughs> Robert Lepage and she just sort of left it at that and she was being like this is all you need to know and me and my best friend Hattie we just sort of we were writing notes and we just sort of wrote down this name and underlined it but like never looked him up never did anything with it yeah (laughs) yeah I mean yeah it it, it was just it was such a great
0: performance and so like to do something like that I think the Barbican and the National Theatre to me when I was younger were just like the idea of yeah that it's something that I really romanticised so I think if I could ever go in I'd love to do that for my younger self I'd love to know for her that that she she did eventually get to do it oh oh,
1: that's fantastic that's so unique and a million other
0: things as well you know like all (laughs) of us there's there's definitely a bucket list yeah
1: oh well thank you so much for coming on broken ambitious today honestly it's really a pleasure and oh thank you it's such a pleasure to do it yes and thank you as well for doing it when it's 27 degrees on a friday afternoon i mean honestly what am i i'm torturing you this is not what we should be doing (laughs) absolutely my pleasure Good luck with everything. I'm sure comedy will be back on the menu very soon.
0: Fingers crossed.